says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me to break down another week of NRL news and everything surrounding the game itself are my good mates, 60s and Clint. Fellas, good to have you on board. Craig, it's uh, not been too long since we last had our chat on the Tip Sheet. No, we had our delayed reaction <laughs> podcast that we recorded earlier today. It's now Tuesday night. We're recording this for a Wednesday release. Uh, of the podcast but uh yeah mate it's uh we've we've certainly been very busy over the last few days and it's going to get even busier with a big week of tct content leading into the game against the raiders yeah three games against the raiders quint massive saturday of action what are you looking forward to mate well hopefully a reversal of form from a first grade perspective um you know, there's there's probably a bitter taste still in the mouth of many eels fans across the country so you know, hopefully we can bring you guys a, 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 a something to smile about leading to this week and um, we can turn the tide. And before we get into it, a quick thank you to the sponsors of the Tip Sheet, Big Swing Golf, North Mead and Star Partners, Narellon, Auburn and Parramatta, making the Tip Sheet happen each and every week. Let's hit the stinger, boys. News team, assemble! And it's my favourite part of the podcast, 60s, where I get to hand over the reins to you this week and let you run the show. So get into it, big fella. Yeah, well, it's a big week of Eels news and NRL news. So we'll kick it off with the Eels news. We had the loss in Magic Round, Magic Round that wasn't so magic for the Parramatta Eels with a loss to the Titans. But we've got the fallout from that loss, which first and foremost means being without Mitch Moses for this game against the Raiders. And he only really just snuck into being available for the uh, the match the following week. But how do we cope without Mitch Moses this week? Well, it's a, he, when you look back on what he does for the team, it's not just being the halfback, but it's the goal kicker. And there's a lot of leadership stuff he does too in terms of captain's challenges. So the redistribution of responsibilities is significant this week. And, you know, in, in terms of goal kicking, that goes straight to Quinton Gufferson. No surprises there. But you're going to have Jake Arthur come in and try and manage that team management sort of thing with uh, Dylan and himself. And they're going to have to try and balance the load without getting away of Dill's real flourish of form that we saw against the Titans. So you need Jake to steer the team around and get him in the right places, but then let Dill play the hot hand. So it's it's a complex puzzle, but I'm 60s. And when you lose someone like Moses, there are just so many moving pieces that go into that position at halfback, and especially when you're one of the top two or three halfbacks in the NRL. Uh, Clint, who does the big step up here? Is it the the big step up for Jake Arthur, or is it the big step up for Dylan Brown? What, what's your take on being without Mitch Moses? Uh, to me, it, uh, the, the big step up has to be Dylan Brown. He's the senior player. He's an international now as well. Um, uh, obviously having represented New Zealand uh, in a couple of tests and across the World Cup at the back end of last year. Uh, we saw him uh, play somewhere close to some of his best football against against the Titans on the weekend. Uh, Jake's just got to come in and do his job. But, um, you know, I, I think it's important that we're pumping Jake's tyres up throughout this week. And, you know, we're, we're watching a couple of replays of the, of the game against uh, Manly at Brookvale from 2022. When um you know Jake had arguably his best uh, game in first grade and 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 Dylan absolutely ran the show from um, the, the second half. I think there's a there's a blueprint within that game for the, those two to operate and work together. Um, and yeah, you know it, the the all we need from Jake, I guess, is him to come and do his job and you know try and replicate Moses in the aggregate in terms of um, clearing kicks and, and and kicking for field position. If he does that and he makes his tackles, Jake's doing his job. We look to the other leaders of the team to to, to step up and fill the void um, creatively with the absence of Moses. Yeah, I guess his return to playing consistent New South Wales Cup football, I'm talking about Jake Arthur, will probably hold him in good stead because he's had to deal with a New South Wales Cup team around him that's been a bit up and down in form. And... 
to a large degree, he's probably been the most consistent performer in the New South Wales Cup team this season. Uh, but going forward into this game, Dylan Brown, his his natural game is really to be that, that runner and the bloke to play a little bit more off the cuff uh, type of football. But as you said, he is the international player. He's the senior player in the team. So we hope that what we probably want to see is a bit more of what we saw of Dylan Brown against the Titans, which if he's playing like that, it takes a lot of pressure off uh, Jake Arthur, doesn't it? I think in the big picture too, looking to when Moses gets back, I hope there's an instructional moment there for both our spine and the coaching staff from that Titans game in that we see Mitchell Moses being able to play both sides uh, left and right in and out of structure. He's got the license to do that. But Dylan generally ends up either being parked on the left or being a, a fulcrum, you know, in a big movement from one side of the field to the other, sort of in that middle corridor. Uh, I think that with the talents of both Dylan and Mitchell, you want both of them constantly uh, attacking both sides, not every set. You know, you don't have to waste their energy every set, but let him mix it up and get Dill on the right um, chiming in with Mitchell Moses and, and sort of creating different shapes and looks that uh, cause the defense to have to think and slow down. Uh, so that's my big takeaway or hopeful takeaway out of that Gold Coast loss is that while Mitchell Moses has been lethal chiming in down the left, let's, let's get Dylan when everyone's back in there chiming in down the right. Yeah. Now, just before we move on from talking about that loss against the Titans, I just want to talk a little bit more about the issue with Jaden Campbell and leading with his knees. We we spoke a little bit about this in the delayed reaction podcast, and I've tweeted the photos of Jaden Campbell's action as he's coming in to make the tackles, and we saw how devastating that sliding knees tackle was for Sean Russell last year. He managed just to not make as much contact with his knees going into Mike Acevo, but that that technique, surely, surely, it, I, I'm still dumbfounded as to why it, it, there isn't something, you know, at least in the way of a warning letter or or any discussion about it, because it seems to me it's not even been a talking point in the media at all. Am I overreacting to that particular tackle, or is is there is there some justification in being upset that this particular technique just seems to fly under the radar? I we spoke about it sixties, and I just going to reiterate: it's not going to. No one's going to care. It's not going to be an issue until a quote unquote important player suffers injuries or consequences of those actions from someone like Campbell. Uh, it literally happened last year to poor Sean Russell, and it, the NRL didn't even bat an eye. They didn't charge Jaden Campbell. It didn't get a mention in Graham Annesley's round one uh, debrief the following Monday. Uh, so, unfortunately, these are the sort of tendencies. And we saw with Billy Slater for a long time. He had a number of dangerous uh, practices when he was you know, being the game's best fullback on both sides of the ball, and in this case defensively, uh, where it, it was allowed to fester and go on for so long uh, until it, it reached a critical point against, uh, it might have been the Bulldogs. So he had the, the leg raising against David Clemmer when he was catching high balls. And that was, he sort of cried to kick Clemmer in the face. Uh, and then there was an, obviously the sliding in of the knees too for Billy Slater. So it's the same case here with Jaden Campbell. Until it happens to the Roosters, to South Sydney, to Melbourne, to one of their key players, it's not going to be a talking point in the wider media. Clint? Yeah, look, I'm probably going to refer to, to John as meatloaf in this instance because uh, he took the words right out of my mouth. You know, I think back to what happened with Billy Slater um, all those years ago, and you know, it, it, it's it's the same discussion, just a, a, a different technique. Um, and there, there, there needs to be more onus and responsibility on players in those situations. You know, which we spoke a couple of weeks ago about the duty of care in relation to the hip drop tackle. Well, that duty of care doesn't stop just in, in, uh, in different moments of play. It's it's ongoing, you know. It, it, particularly in a moment like that, where you know Micah in that instance wasn't going to be stopped. Jaden wasn't going to stop him. He, he'd already um, Mike had already passed the play and, and, and gone over the try line. And by that point, you would think the player 
you know, regardless of whether they committed to something, is, is at least trying to pull up, you know. I, I, I think there needs to be more attention on it. And as, as John so eloquently put, you know, it's probably not going to get attention until uh, there's a bigger issue made of it. And normally that doesn't happen until a uh, quote-unquote bigger club um, is on the receiving end of it. You know, we, we, we got a, uh, Dylan Brown got a lot of attention for what happened to Drew Hutchinson a couple of years ago. You know, um, but we've seen instances like that over the years, um, and certainly not warrant as much attention as that. But and the big thing with that you know, Dylan and Hutchison incident is that Dylan got the punishment. He got two or three weeks to sit down, and exactly since then, right. since then he's never let off his knees. With that either, yeah, and he no, he got vilified in the media too. Yeah. So, so I mean, the, was... the, the the silence is 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 disturbing, and it um it's certainly something that uh creates, I suppose, a little bit of a narrative of haves and have-nots and, um, and a, a, a greater discussion around equity when it comes to interpretation of um, punishment and and also reward in the NRL. Yeah. Now, the other fallout from the loss to the Titans is the most blatant one, which is it's another loss. It's uh, a well, we've fallen further behind on the competition ladder. I don't know whether we're at the point where we call this match against the Raiders season-defining, but at what point do we start to get some genuine concerns about where Parramatta's heading this season? It's it's close, 60s, because you enter round 11, 4 and 6 on the season. So your win rate is down to 40%, and you're playing the Canberra Raiders who are on a four-game win streak... Yes, three of those wins are on the streakier side of things. Uh, they beat uh, the Dolphins by one point. They beat the Dogs by four points. And then they beat the Dragons by, I think, six points. So they're all very close games against... Well, in the, in the Dolphins' case, they're a good team this year. But in the other two teams' cases, they're not great opposition. But their other win was the, the lone defeat that the Brisbane suffered this year. And they, they, they played fantastic football in that contest. So we know that Canberra are a formidable outfit. We know that both their backs and forwards are physically imposing players. And they're going to ask the sort of questions that this team right now is struggling to answer. And the big problem is that you come into this round going to Canberra, which is always a tough road trip, and you're going to come in on the 4-6 and six record. Next week, it's the, the South Sydney Rabbitohs, who, regardless of them being the best team this year, are always our biggest bogey team. So if you drop this game now, there's a very real chance you come out of round 12 going 4-8. Uh, and eight, uh, eight. Is it right, 4-8? Four and eight, yeah. Yeah. You'd be four and eight. So you're so many, you're four, four games behind that 500 winning percentage, which is uh, usually sort of the top eight cutoff roughly. Uh, I don't really know what changes this year with the 17th team and whatnot. Uh, but having that sort of uh, parity between wins and losses is usually the base metric for being in top eight contention. And yet you're four games below 500 and you have so much work to do. So this game, it's not must win, but it's not far off. Yeah. Uh, Clint? I think there's a lot of urgency around this game, gents. Um, you know, it, it's it's not panic stations um, necessarily, but, you know, it, it's something that we need to be going in with complete intention, you know, and that's not to suggest that we don't go in with complete intention in every game, but there is a real urgency for, for the reasons that you've just laid out, John, um, uh, around our, our, our win-loss record, that we need to go into this and be coming away with the two points. Uh, because the, the potential ramifications, if we don't, can be season-defining. You know, our, um, our challenges against the Rabbitohs are well-documented. Um, and, you know, I, I, I dare say when everyone gets out the proverbial ladder predictor and looks at where they might bank some wins throughout the season, they probably would have looked at Magic Round against the Titans as the game that we, we would win. And, you know, statistically, when we, we look at um, how the, um, the, the game finished, you know, it was a it was a stat line that read like we should have won. You know, we we touched on the Tigers a few weeks ago having similar stats but not coming away with the victory. Um, yeah, this this for me, guys, is is it's a game we need to find a way to win. Yeah, yeah. Instead of what we seem to be doing is finding that way to lose. Mm-hmm. Now, I was going to go from there into looking at the New South Wales Cup bouncing back now with a couple of consecutive victories after some uh, consecutively consecutive poor games but I think we might tie it in with the team list so I want to look at these team lists that have been announced today because we've we've had 
some interesting selections that have flowed through. So in the NRL, we've got uh, obviously Jake's Jake Arthur's promotion in for Mitch Moses to cover for his concussion protocols absence. But then we were speculating today in our uh, delayed reaction podcast about how Jake's position gets filled in the halves in New South Wales Cup. And we've seen that uh, uh, Jordan Rankin's moved to half and Jaden Yates has been named at 5'8". And then that's combined with uh, Nick Lanaz being moved up from Jersey Flegg onto the bench in New South Wales Cup. And then, of course, that's flowed into his spot and some others being available in the Jersey Flegg. And we've had, uh, what, five SG ball uh, promotions into the Jersey Flegg team. So plenty to talk about there. Uh, we've really talked about what's happened with Jake. So let's have a let's have a bit of a, a, a quick take on the New South Wales Cup team. Then what's uh, what's your take on Jane uh, uh, on uh, Jane Yates coming into the halves and Nick Lanaz coming onto the bench? Yeah, well, the the Yates selection we all have a, a real soft spot for Yatesy because he is an absolute terrier in terms of his commitment to fitness and to all the different one percenters that you love to see from a any player, but especially a young one. That's probably the, the left-field selection, though, isn't it, 60s? I mean, he's going to go out there and hold down an edge defensively and probably uh, defer to Rankin and uh, Dejan Arce in terms of the playmaking stakes. But I wouldn't be surprised if they give him a few uh, a few different option plays if the team stays in that configuration. Uh, maybe there might be uh, a way of tinkering for team uh, before kickoff two to facilitate a different spine. But as, as it lines up, you know what you're going to get from Yates. He's going to go out there, he's going to tackle his backside off uh, he'll he'll let Arcee and Rankin steer the team around if he stays in that 5'8 position. Uh, and then, yeah, maybe he'll also work with his back rower down. Well, the question will be, does Rankin change sides now too, I suppose? I'm not sure. Uh, but, yeah, he'll, he'll work with um, whichever back rower he gets assigned with, whether it's uh, Matt Dory or Dan Keir. Clean, uh, is that how you see it as well, that Arcee's like to, likely to be more of a primary playmaker alongside uh, Rankin rather than Yates, or do you think uh, they'll they'll have Yates still assuming some playmaking roles? No, look, I, I see it exactly the same way. You know, it, it's about shoring up the defensive line when you start getting a bit thin in the ranks, and you know, um, we've seen over the over many years um, many coaches. You know, Brian Smith was certainly a, a coach um, when he was. Uh, uh, head coach of the Eels that like to pick sides certainly in the earlier rounds of the competition based on the best available defensive team. Um, you know, we saw for many years uh, Daniel Wagon being selected at 5'8 for that very reason. So, you know, I, I, I kind of look at it as not too dissimilar to, to that in this instance. And you'd imagine that um, Dejan and, and Rankin will be um, calling the shots. And what I do like is that Nick Lanaz has been moved up into New South Wales mm. Cup. He's like Jaden Yates. He's one of our favourites in terms of just being pure effort, a pure effort player. And he's and he's not, again, not too dissimilar to Yates in that he plays that lock slash dummy half role as well. And um, and and even to the extent where he's when he's playing that lock role, he does completely change how he plays. Like he just like his carries are just like, like he plays well above his weight. Like he absolutely rips in there. And um, he's, so he's got that spot. Now that's interesting because it did open up the, the spot for Saxon Pryke then to come in and, and take his lock spot in the Jersey flag. But I like it from the perspective that they're giving one of the younger players coming through a shot rather than, going to, say, a, a Wenty Ron Massey Cup team and looking for a player to fill in on the bench. Yeah, it's something, that, just, yeah. Yeah, it's something that we've been critical of is uh, going to the Ron Massey Cup world rather than your own jersey flag and development pathways. Uh, I, I feel like the Ron Massey Cup, and this isn't a knock on those players because some of them come in and done a great job, like Manny Luke, who's been fantastic. Some of them are seizing that opportunity, but your priority, or you should have the resources to fill those priority needs with young players. You should always be prioritising the development of young players in these positions. Uh, when, obviously, we just saw the Eels take out the, the SG Board Championship, and that was awesome to be part of that as a fan and as a spectator. But 
each and every one of those grades right up through flag, cup, uh, all before the NRL, ultimately premierships and winning in those divisions are surp- like they're secondary. Like, yeah, you want to win and create positive environments for player development, but you want to be uh, having players on hand always to be developed there. And it's probably somewhere where we've, uh, somewhere this year where maybe we've tripped up a little bit, uh, but it's good to see Nick getting his dues now uh, after a fantastic start in the Jersey flag, and now he gets a chance to impress in proper senior football. Yeah, uh, Clint? Yeah, look, yeah it, it's something that we've touched on across the junior repre- representative season, and you know, it's it's nice to see the this is the pathways in action. This is the point of all of those teams and all of those programs existing is that when um, a, a senior player is missing or unavailable for selection, that the uh, the next player off the or next cab off the rank is selected, and um, you know we want to be getting these minutes and and, and getting this exposure into as many players as possible, so that when um, when we start talking about um, succession planning for the first grade squad, we've got players that we, uh, we we can readily call upon, and and those levers can be pulled by the club. It's part of what gives um, the club leverage in a salary cap uh, NRL. Yep, yep. And now let me just run through some names for people. So looking at the Jersey flag side, Richard Penasini on the wing, Ethan Sanders at halfback, Saxon Pryke at lock, Sam Tuavati on the interchange bench, Lance Fulima as the concussion sub. That's five SG ball graduates first week that they can join the Jersey flag team, they're not just part of the squad training, they've been named. So all of the speculation that we were uh, discussing after the SG ball won their title, bang, we've got an immediate answer. And I think we also know that uh, Jake Arthur, unfortunately for him, he copped a two-week suspension for a Matt, crusher Matt, tackle. Matty Arthur. From that. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Matt Arthur. <laughs> uh, we're, we're in trouble if Jake's got a two-week suspension. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, uh, Matt Arthur, he, he copped that two-week suspension for the crusher tackle in the uh, SG Ball Grand Final. And uh, I'm pretty sure he would have come in for strong contention for this team as well this week. So it could have potentially been six players elevated. But uh, uh, as well as you takes on this, I'm wondering whether there was any consideration for Ethan Sanders to go directly up to New South Wales Cup yeah, I with think, that uh, lacking the halfback. I, I think that there would have been a conversation about that this week, 100%. Uh, but maybe I just want to see Ethan make that, not slow, but steady progression back through flag, which we, we saw him play very well in last year. Give him maybe a month of flag football and then reassess, you know, put him up to Cup. Because, uh, yeah, right now there is a huge need uh, to put him up there to partner the ranking potentially, but they're, they're being a little bit more measured in their steps there, which I can't fault as much as I get excited about seeing young players accelerate through the development pathways. There is a you know duty of care too to make sure that they're not uh, sort of running before they can walk properly. Uh, I suppose another player that we could have mentioned there, and I think you know he picked up a pretty nasty cork, if I'm not mistaken, out of the City vs. Country game, was Blaze Talungi, uh, who probably would have been in close selection contention as well for Jersey Flag. So... There's a, a whole lot of young players here. They're going to make the competition for spots fierce uh, in the coming games and weeks and rounds. So that's a good thing for the Jersey Flag. It's going to be hopefully a good thing for the New South Wales Cup as these young players, you know, battle and compete like the old adage of iron sharpening iron. Uh, you know, all this competition for spots hopefully breeds some real strong uh, competitive spirit and, and uh, sort of uh, opens up pathways for players to progress. Uh, Clint, can you imagine... Coach Craig Brennan's reaction if it, now he's been there, he's w- waiting to get hold of the Jersey Flags half from last year, Ethan Sanders, if uh, the first week that he could select him, he was told, um, uh, now listen, Craig, he's actually needed for New South Wales Cup. <laughs> it certainly would have been a unique set of circumstances, um, or, or I guess it I guess it is a unique set of circumstances that, that leads to it even being a discussion point, but you know, I, I I think the club is playing it smart here. You know, given that Ethan's last game was the SG Ball Grand Final, it's a 
it's a big um, shout to step up and, and go down to play an away game against Canberra in New South Wales Cup. Uh, I, I think John's hit the nail on the head. There'll probably be a few few weeks in flag um, at the very least before he comes into the consideration for Cup. Yeah, he's... I, I guess you have to... Even though he had that experience last year in Jersey flag, it, it's still about finding your feet again, isn't it? It's the mm. games are played at a different pace and it's that's quite a rapid acceleration if he was yeah. jumping from the pace of SG ball straight up to the pace of New South Wales Cup. It doesn't mean that he's won't come into consideration down the track. As a matter of fact, I reckon if the circumstances were similar, say, in about round 18 or 19, I think I know what would be transpiring in the uh, in the selection room. So um, now we'll, we'll wrap up the Eels news with the Indigenous jersey that uh, the Eels have revealed, which will be worn in the match against the South Sydney Rabbitohs. It's another jersey designed by Aboriginal Indigenous artist Sean Kinchelli. did a great job with uh, previous NRL jerseys for the Eels. It's a jersey that acknowledges the Barmatagal people and language. The And uh, just going off the Eels' uh, notice on their uh, media release, says that uh, it not only acknowledges the uh, Barmatagal people and language, it's the winding rivers, the mountains, the bushlands, and importantly, the wildlife across Darug country. So that's the spiel that we've seen. Boys, your takes on the jersey. Yeah, Sean's knocked out of the park again. He's doing a really wonderful job of his stuff. And uh, it, it's great to see the inclusivity of this really being embraced uh, by not just the Parramatta Eels, but by all clubs. Now, I think the West Tigers have a really nice jersey this year too, which is a, a great turnabout for them after the debacle that was their Anzac jersey. So uh, they got that one right. And yeah, it's I mean, the Indigenous culture is a big part of our game. And just really nice to see it being celebrated in the right ways. Clint? Even more so when you consider the Indigenous history that's tied to the club. You know, obviously, um, Parramatta translating to uh, the place where eels lie. Um, you know, in- Indigenous heritage is, is built into the fabric of this club. So you know, it's, it's a wonderful jersey um, and it's, it's a wonderful tribute to um, not only our club, but... Um, uh, the, the area itself and everything that makes that, that makes Barramatical and um, Darug land truly unique. Yeah, uh, just the way that they the, have the uh, the boomerang with the Barramatical uh, across that on the on the chest of the jersey and the the eels that are across the um, uh, just below the sponsor name. It, it's it just it, the transitions through the jersey just look brilliant, and as you said there, forty that um, uh, Sean's just absolutely knocked this out of the park again. It's uh, <laughs> as far as jerseys go, it's a it's a work of art. It's an absolute mm-hmm. work of art. I mean, you know, we say he's an artist. Well, he is. He's actually created a work of art. And the the thing about these jerseys that Sean's designed over the last couple of years is. I think it's a shame that it's only worn once. Yeah, I agree. Some of these jerseys deserve to have a month or so of uh, of being wrapped. Like they're, they're beautiful and the message is good. So, and also the other thing probably worth mentioning is that it's not a one to one, but that uh, the silhouette of the indigenous uh, individual with the spear is, all, in a way, a throwback to I think Parramatta's mm. original uh, logo. So that's a nice, nice little inclusion to the jersey too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, fellas, we're now we've now got some news that's going across the NRL. Let let's just first of all a couple of magic round takes, and then we'll talk about some things that are making the news at the moment. But what did you make of uh, Valence De Fare, who was um, made his debut for the um, uh, the Dolphins? Over the weekend, uh, they've already dubbed him Val Meninga, haven't they? Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a looks like he's an interesting prospect, almost in that sort of Conrad Hurrell mold. Uh, you know, he's very thickly built, powerfully built. Uh, takes a second or two to get the speed, but once he gets downhill, he's terrifying to stop. Uh, he's a 
still a relatively uh, fresh-faced rugby league prospect, isn't he? Because he made that conversion from Union only recently. Uh, so he's been playing his trade in Q Cup up there. And, yeah, he had a fantastic... I mean, you talk about debuts, remember, bagging a double and getting the uh, to do the hark of your family uh, at an absolutely packed-out Suncorp Stadium. It doesn't get much better. So really, really cool story for Magic Round. And uh, Magic Round has actually been home to a, a few of those really cool stories. Um, our own Jake Arthur against the Warriors scoring the match-winning try. Uh, that was a really nice one there for us. And, yeah, there's been uh, more than a couple of those ones across the last few years. And uh, Valence is just the most uh, recent in that line of stories. Clint, if I was to get you to use the crystal ball and say, where do you think uh, Valance would be in, say, three or four years? Do, do you think there's going to be that continuation of the career? Is it is he a, a magic round flash in the pan or, or do you think he's got a long NRL career ahead of him? Well, he certainly made an impression uh, on the weekend and in his debut. And, you know, he, he's one of those players that has a high ceiling, but it, it's ultimately up to him. Mm-hmm. It's the best way to answer that question. You know, um, we noted, I guess, similarities to someone like Conrad Hurrell, who, who has to date had a very up and down NRL career and, 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 and rugby league career across, across the world. Um, you know, but for Valance, it's, it, it's, it's, it's a case of, all right, that game's happened. Now time to double down and continue working to, to try and be the best player that he can be. You know, but as I said, the, 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 there's no um, shortage of feeling for him and he can, it, it's, he can achieve whatever he wants to achieve. But, you know, as, as the competition gets more used to more accustomed to him, they're going to manage ways to, um, to, to, to try and, I, I, I guess, combat what he does. So, you know, it's, it's going to be upon him to, to take the next step and, and overcome those challenges too. But and look, I, I might just add to, those, to that, gents, um, a penny for the thoughts of Morgan Harper watching that game. <laughs> um, and I suppose that the other thing for uh, Val is that uh, you can't ask for much of a better mentor than Wayne Bennett to manage you through those rookie ebbs and flows that come with being not only just an NRL rookie, but making that transition from union to league. So he's going to have bad games. He's going to make mistakes. That's going to uh, come with the territory. And I think one thing he needs to do is probably get a little bit more NRL conditioned uh, still. Mm. Uh, but you know he clearly can be a bit of a wrecking ball with that footy in hand, and that's always worth plenty in the code. So very, very exciting young player. Um, going to be interesting to see how much or how long he can maintain the rage before he might hit a bit of a wall. Mm. Agreed. The really big story that's come out of Magic Round has been the accusations of uh, the Warriors, uh, the CEO of the Warriors' uh, major sponsor, which is One New Zealand. It's uh, Jason Paris, who's the CEO, and he's basically accused the NRL referees of of cheating. Like it, it his comments have literally pointed the finger and said, you're cheating. And, and it was Todd Smith that really was the target of his, um, of his rage from the weekend. It, Todd Smith's actually a referee that we've got quite a bit of time for here on the Cumberland throw. Well, I feel like he's one but, of the few that isn't like part of any sort of, uh, uh, the, uh, sort of system that's there in terms of the tip sheets and whatnot. Todd, Todd tends to call the game a bit cleaner in my opinion. Yeah. So what we're, what we're, getting at there is that uh, we believe that referees in their preparation for matches, that what's been talked about is an unconscious bias that they might have towards the teams that are at the top of the table um, or, or let's say favoured teams in terms of teams that they expect to perform well in a particular game that there is, well, maybe it's, if they're using tip sheets, if they're doing all this preparation, um, I don't know if you could call it an, uh, uh, an unconscious bias because I think if you're going in with any preconceived ideas about how a match yeah. is going to play out... Yeah, induced bias. Yeah, yes, most definitely. You know, if you go in, you believe certain players are going to tackle high, um, certain players are going to try to creep forward in the defence line or will get a bit um, 
messy around the rucks or, or that sort of thing, that if that's all part of your prep, you're not necessarily going in to referee what happens in front of you. You're you're almost tuned in to look for things and maybe you're going to miss some other things along the way. And And I think that sometimes that plays out when we call out about not so much where decisions go against against your team, and so in our case, the Eels, yeah, because you can look at a, at a call and you go, okay, that's fair enough. Yeah. But it's when it's when it doesn't happen in return, mm-hmm. when someone in the opposition does exactly the same thing and it's allowed to slide, or when the entire team from the opposition, you know, if they're offside or they're slowing in the ruck or what have you, and you just go, but hang on, like you've been blowing that up for one team, why aren't you blowing it up from the other? So that's where we're talking about that we're we're not happy when those sorts of things happen. But has he he's well and truly crossed the line, hasn't he, yeah, Jason Harris? It's something that fans always talk about. And, you know, like you mentioned, Sixties, if you go over the footage and you look at where teams get penalised, you're going to say, I'd say it's like, like 99 point something percent of the time the referee's going to get those calls right. But the the problem then lies in when you see the opposition do the same thing and not get pinged, and that's where the frustrations boil over. Uh, in this game, I suppose the the big one was probably the the Sifakula, uh Sinbin in the sixty fifth minute, where he got Sinbinned for that that sort of I, I say trendy, you know, that sort of grab the collar and also get a little cheeky punch in sort of uh, action that we're seeing in these brawls these days. And you fast forward to the South Sydney game where Latrell Mitchell gets away with doing pretty much the exact same thing to Harry Grant. And you see those sort of... Well, actually, he did it twice to Grant, and yeah. then he did it once to... Um, I'm trying to think who the yeah. other player was and, that was involved. And that's where you start seeing all the... Not seeing, but the idea that double standards or different standards might be in place starts to creep in. And you think back to Parramatta and Darwin, where Payne Haas doesn't get sin-binned in a game where he ends up getting a grade two dangerous contact charge. Uh, like... They're, they're the incidents where it's not the referee with the live whistle, with the hot whistle that's making the hard call on the fly because they're the ones that we give a lot of latitude for referees to make the mistakes because as much as it sucks and you groan about it in the heat of the moment, you look back on it and you say, these guys are running 15 kilometres a game calling these incredibly you know difficult margins of uh, you know right or wrong uh, decisions on the fly and you're going to wear the odd bad one there. But when it's the bunker getting involved and not being consistent... That's when you start getting really frustrated. And while the the CEO of uh, One, uh, whatever it is now these days, has uh, definitely crossed the line, and now they're talking about some serious legal action too, the referees union in response, uh, you can understand why fans get very frustrated, especially for New Zealand, who uh, of all the teams that get kicked when they're down, I feel like the Warriors have been kicked while they're down a lot in the history of uh, the NRL. Yeah. Now, Clint, I know that you've got a lot of time for referees and how difficult they're task is uh, I, I would imagine you're you you'd strongly believe that this CEO has well and truly gone over the line there's two things that I want to say on this gents uh the first thing is um Jason Paris in this instance was talking like a fan and not like a CEO <laughs> and in and in this um in in the context of this situation he's a CEO of their major sponsor and um, it's, it's, it's at the very least, um, gross misjudgment from him to think that airing any of these types of grievances was appropriate in the manner in which he did. Um, I expect there to be an apology and retraction. Um, and, you know, um, d- I dare say some form of mediation that takes place between, uh, his company that he represents and the, the referees association. Um, Secondly, as well, yeah, absolutely. You know, the job of referees in, is incredibly difficult. But um, you know, what these comments potentially do, as well, gents, is it draws, it unfairly draws attention to something that's actually probably worth the discussion that we were just you know, starting to have. And you know, the, 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 there is there is something to be said about calls going both ways. Um, what this does is it creates. Uh, an out for um, anyone who doesn't want to have those discussions now when it, it, it's something that, that, that is worth having, you know, um, uh, the, the referees are human, but they're also not faultless. 
you know, and, and, and we have a right as fans to, to um, demand excellence with the uh, acknowledgement that some latitude is given due to the, the, the nature of the job and, and, and the role itself and, and, and the speed in which it happens. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a real tough one for me to swallow this. Um, I, I wasn't privy to it until uh, probably yesterday afternoon. And, you know, it, they're not the actions of a C-level executive and someone who holds a position like that. And, um, you know, I, I, I fully expect there to be ramifications. Yeah. And I think, and maybe this is something we can end up discussing on a, a future podcast, but when we're talking about referees preparing for games, referees are are actually superb athletes these days. And I've watched them come and train at uh, at Parramatta as they do with, I think they they have that offer extended to all the clubs that they can come and referee opposed sessions, help out at training wherever possible, because it helps them with their physical preparation. There is nothing better for the referees preparation for a match than refereeing the teams that they're involved with um, throughout the season in as close to match conditions as you can get through the week because, like, apart from that, what are they going to do? Are they going to look at videos? Now, this is where I, I, I'm not sure what goes on in terms of their level of preparation. There was something in the past where I think they would have the referees on, like, treadmills and they have footage that plays for them and they, they have to be making calls, you know, if they see something that, that happens. It was like a simulation of um, uh, where they were uh, able to track how the referee reacted as they were in various states uh, states of fatigue. But, um, I, look, I just hope that preparation for them doesn't go too much into any sort of video analysis of the teams that are about to play. I would hope that the only video that happens is when they're reviewing what they've just refereed and they highlight things that they should have picked up, that there, there isn't video of what's coming up. And that's, that to me is a a big thing. I think that's the, the difference between uh, preparation for referees as opposed to preparation for players. Anyway, the other thing to come out of the, Magic Round weekend was the extraordinary record of Wayne Bennett, nine hundred first grade games. Yeah, it's actually talking, it's actually over twelve hundred when you factor in the Brisbane Rugby League uh, competition as well. Yes, yes. So from the time that he was assisting with uh, Don Ferner down at the Canberra Raiders in eighty seven, I think it was his first season down there, where they. Uh, qualified for the grand final against Manly, he's just had this this magic touch at the at the elite premiership level. But as you said, he had all those uh, years of experience in the Brisbane competition, and uh, but nine hundred, like. Could he go for another four years somehow? Could he get to a thousand? Well, if, if the NRL is true about their promise on expansion to twenty teams, then is there a better man to helm the next one of the next expansion teams, one of the critical ones? So, I imagine they'll be uh, keeping tabs on him to about potential expansion, maybe give him that one last hurrah. Uh, but yeah, geez, Wayne Bennett. I mean, I know, I know that his time at Newcastle probably wasn't the greatest, but. He's just brought success pretty much everywhere he's gone uh, and solidified, you know, the Dragons, South Sydney, uh, obviously Brisbane originally, and then now he's doing a fantastic job with the Dolphins. And there's a really big – I know that on 360 they were talking about, you know, whether he should be inducted into the Immortals and uh, what the Immortals means to the concept, being whether it's players only or you can have other, you know, extremely influential members of the Rugby League game being inducted that way. But, yeah, it really opens up – the decision or decision, the discussion, sorry, on where Wayne now lies all time because I know that in your case, Craig, because you were there for it, I, I wasn't around for the, the Parramatta Eels dominance and the breakthrough premierships, but you know Jack Gibson for the longest time has been hailed as the greatest and, and probably the most revolutionary coach so far ahead of his times. Uh, but, geez, Wayne for longevity and success has to be right up there with uh, Gibbo as one of the greatest of all time. 
Yeah. I mean, I've obviously got a high regard for Jack Gibson because he's he's the one that dug the well from which the coaches nowadays yeah, are drinking from. Exa- exactly. And that's to use, to use, the, the, pioneering, to the pioneering work of Gibson really shouldn't be understated and um, how far ahead of the, the times he was as a coach and understanding what it meant to manage a team. And in that regard, I yeah. think that, that keeps him up right at the top as well. But Wayne's longevity, I mean, you've got to tip your hat uh, at it because it, NRL coaching is a ruthless business. We, we always speak about it, how results-driven it is. And, you know, it's not like Wayne hasn't been a victim of it when he got kicked out of the Broncos and whatnot. Uh, but the man has always landed on his feet, always conducted himself as a coach. Outsta- I mean, he's always had a very standoffish relationship with the media. Maybe that's why he's been so successful in the long term. He just, he's kept them at arm's length the entire time. Uh, but, yeah, he's just a, one of the titans of his code. And there, there probably will never be another one like him. Yeah. And what is it? Uh, seven titles from... 10 grand finals. I think uh, Gibson was five titles from, ooh, he must have been about seven grand finals, maybe something like that. I know he, because uh, he, I mean, Gibson, he started his first grade coaching career back in the 60s where he took the Roosters who were wooden spooners in a particular year and they uh, might have been about 66 or 67 and they, I don't think they won a game when in the season they were wooden spooners. And he took them to finals football. He took um, the Newtown Jets in the early 70s to finals football. Um, he obviously won the premiership double with the Roosters. He was uh, three years with the Eels for three titles. I mean, like three years for three titles. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it just... And, of course, he... he went on he, he had a, a coaching stint at the sharks he just he never stayed where he's different i think to wayne bennett where uh especially in uh, bennett's early um years with the uh, and if you can call them early years now but his extended stay at the broncos from the time that they started he was there for a very long time gibson was never one for for spending a long time at a club and maybe the latter years of um, Wayne Bennett are more reflective of Jack Gibson in that he's there for a short time at a club, moves on. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, I mean, that's certainly how I remember um, Jack Gibson. Uh, we were privy to that marvellous story from uh, John Muggleton. About, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which, I mean, we, we, we'd share it here except for the fact couldn't that... Couldn't do it justice. It, it might it, we couldn't do justice to it, and uh, on top of that, that's a muggo story. So you know, <laughs> the, you, that's that's best left for John Muggleton to tell the story of what happened to him with um, in, in that interaction with uh, Jack Gibson. But um, you know, we know he was a unique character. But Wayne Bennett, I mean, Clint, the the players just speak so glowingly of him, not just for his relationships, but the way he communicates to them about what their role is out there on the field. Yeah, well, to that point, he's he's a character in and of himself and, and has a reputation that precedes itself. And, and the reason that you get to that type of status is for exactly all of those reasons, you know. You, you, you hold that um, status in the eye of the players because you meet their needs. He knows how to talk to them and they feel comfortable talking to him. Um, you know, you, it's it's pretty fair to suggest that he's the ultimate relationship developer um, from a coaching perspective, you know, and, and, and um, if I was to put aside uh, last year where Wayne sat out, Wayne has been a, a first grade coach every year of my life. Um, he's been around that long, you know, not, not, to, not to suggest you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm 33 for the listeners that are out there and who care, but um, yeah, that's a long time to be in the game. Yeah. Um, and, and, and to succeed, you know, um, and, and at the level he has, you know, it's going to be a sad day when he goes because he's contributed so much to the game. And, you know, um, if, if there is an opportunity to keep him going after the Dolphins, uh, after his dalliance with the Dolphins, and, and maybe that presents itself in the form of a, um, a new expansion opportunity, well, I welcome it because, um, you know, Wayne Bennett is just one of those things that's been a constant in rugby league for my life. And, you know, um, 
even though he's he's never um, been involved with uh, our team or any of the teams that are, that that, are, that I I follow, I, I speak of course, you know, from a from an origin perspective. There, you know, you can make an argument for the Australian national side, but um, yeah, it's um, it's going to be sad um, the day that 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 Wayne stops coaching. Yeah, and, and the big I, I have this suspicion that I have this suspicion that he's never really going to leave coaching until he leaves this mortal coil. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Greg. <laughs> like honestly, it's so deeply ingrained into the core of his persona, isn't it? And uh, the big thing for me with Wayne is that uh, cutting edge, and I use the term not not loosely, but you know, cutting edge tactical coaches have come and gone, but the the longevity of Wayne and of players of, of coaches and players that he's you know been involved with and, and raised up really reinforces the importance of being a good man or player manager as a head coach. And, and what it is to get your team up emotionally and psychologically consistently and how valuable that is and, and be able to be competitive with rosters that aren't always the best. I mean, the flip side's also true. He's had some of the most stacked rosters in history in Brisbane and whatnot. But he's taken, you know, lesser rosters like he has right now with the Dolphins, you know, a roster that was largely decried and, and memed on at uh, certain points and made them highly competitive because he instills self-belief in his players and gets them to be competitive uh, in, you know, collisions, physicality, chasing those one percenters. All the things we talk about, all those rugby leagueisms, that are rugby leagueisms for a good reason. Wayne has really perfected the art of uh, getting value out of them. Yeah, absolutely. And and in setting them up in that first year like this, he's probably going to make it easier for them to recruit the sort of talent mm-hmm. that they weren't able to attract in this first year. But I'm. I have to put my hand up. I was. I was a person that believed that he was that they were going to finish at the bottom of the table, and I am still waiting for them to falter, and I still haven't given up on that. But <laughs> I, I'm, I'm feeling. I'm feeling like an idiot every week with uh, my calls about about where they how low they're going to finish this year. I'd like to segue uh, um, into something that's that's somewhat related and we'll keep it in the Queensland theme. Ben Iken going from the role at the Broncos to heading up the QRL. What's your thoughts on that? John? Well, that was the, the one. It's not happening. It's not happening. It's not happening. There's nothing here. Oh, it happened. It's one of those, you know, worst kept rugby league secrets, isn't it? That uh, Ben Iken came in, uh, made some splashes at the Broncos Apparently didn't jive very well with the other long-time power brokers at the club and they end up sort of uh, compartmentalising him to game day stuff, I think, with the Broncos. And uh, he's made the jump to QRL and it's no surprise. So, I mean, he did a good job with what he was handed with Brisbane and he's been a big part of the reason they've turned it around and uh, are back to being uh, sort of not perennial yet, but they certainly have the pieces to be a perennial uh, premiership contender. And, yeah, now he goes to QRL and it's a... A bit frustrating because I think Ben's a fairly savvy operator and we don't need Queensland getting any better when it comes to origin. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, what, I mean, is is this the ideal career trajectory, do you think, for Ben Iken, um, Clint? Or, um, I mean, is are we going to hear more from him now? Or, or are we going to hear less from him? Uh, like, I, I didn't mind the job that he was doing and, uh, on uh, in the media, to be honest. Mm. Uh, but um, so in one respect, I was a bit disappointed that he moved on from his media work. But um, yeah, well, I mean, what's your what's your thoughts about this? I mean, is he does he go quietly into the background in such a role with the QRL? Well, look, he's obviously a man of many talents to be um, considered for all these different roles because you know, they the require a, a vast skill set. You know, some these positions are all, um, uh, you know, while there's some crossover and the fact that it's involved in rugby league, you know, there's you know, um, fronting the media as a as an anchor is very different to being involved in um, in a football program at a club and then and now heading up the QRL. So, you know, it's um, he's obviously a man of of, of of great talent, and he's obviously a man that's very well regarded, which you know, two very important things in rugby league. And I might just add, gents, you know, if the, the Broncos are far too resource strong uh, club to remain where they had been the last couple of years. And you know, Ben was obviously a, a key part or a contributing part at the very least in um, in course correcting 
for that club. And you know, they're starting to bear some of that fruit now. And I dare say that that will compound over the years to come. Um, but, you know, uh, look, I, um, I, I think it's an interesting move. You know, like you, Craig, I've, 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 I've come to quite enjoy Ben and his role in the media. Um, but, you know, he obviously gets a level of satisfaction and fulfillment out of being involved in, in this side of rugby league. And, you know, um, he's, <laughs> along with Wally Lewis over the years and certainly in his time when he was at Channel 9, he was a very, very vocal Queensland supporter throughout the Origin coverage, and you know, I couldn't imagine him um, too many better um, suited Queensland um, Origin people to be in the position that he's going to. Yeah, I, I just wonder whether, he, um, from a career perspective, that he's he's goal orientated, that he's he's you know he, he enjoys tasks that are maybe set uh, that he sets for himself, um, likes to see achievements in in where he takes an organisation and maybe that media aspect of um, of his career wasn't necessarily something where he could dig his teeth into in the same way. Um, now, let's get into the, the player, the story that just keeps on giving this year, which is <laughs> around Joseph Swaliki, because if it's not um, around his... Uh, relationship with the Roosters. It's how the the uh, boss of uh, the Australian Rugby Union is throwing stones at the NRL and getting his name in the papers for doing so. I'm not even going to use his name in this. I don't, uh, I don't even know. I, I, I legitimately can't remember his name. The only time I've ever seen it is when uh, the sort of the you know big uh, ego swinging matches happened with our rugby league power brokers. So that's the only yeah. way he's gotten into the press is because Rugby Week is letting him. Yeah, well, I I don't really want to be um, speaking about him so much here, but it's I'd like to focus on um, the the Roosters and the talk around uh, Swali'i being released. Now, you've had Nick Politis come out and just said, look, it's not even up for discussion. It's not going to happen. He's going to see out his contract here. I think we've all been around rugby league long enough to know that it's it's probably has been discussed. Well, Ben Eichen there. wasn't going to QRL. The, the Broncos yeah, were adamant. And then a couple of months yeah. later, he's gone. I mean, yes. unfortunately for rugby league, uh, it's not always true, but largely when there is smoke, there is fire. Uh, the, the, yeah. These clubs, they just leak so easily when it comes to information. So when the journos get a lead... They're going to put it out there straight away. And in this case, I think there is smoke and there is fire. Um, okay, so I'm going to get the two of you to make a call. Does Swali'i see out his contract with the Roosters till the end of next season? John? End of next year? I don't think so. Okay, so what's your thought? What what happens for him? Uh, I think he'll probably play out the majority, if not most, if not all of this year, and then we'll uh, transition to rugby a year early. Uh, as the Wallabies look to build around him for that World Cup push. Uh, I, I, as yeah. much as I'd, I'd love to see him be a free agent in rugby league, because uh, there's a certain club that was looking for an X-Factor player, uh, which would have been a perfect fit for <laughs> yes, one and a half will. seasons. Uh, the Roosters yes, have will. been... One, one of the lines of communication we got today was the Roosters are adamant that if he were to be released, it would be strictly to rugby union, not to a rival rugby league club. So uh, that's... Uh, put the kibosh on my dreams there because obviously the Eels have a, a strong connection to Swali'i courtesy of their young outside back at right centre. Yeah, and uh, we also know that with uh, some of the bright prospects that are coming through from the uh, junior pathways that having a player of his calibre around for 18 months would would probably have been a, a, an ideal time frame. Mm-hmm. As yeah. well, Clint. You know, what's your what's your tip, mate? What's gonna what's gonna unfold for Swaliki? Yeah, I see it very similarly to to John and Craig in that that um, this noise will continue throughout the year, uh, and there will be a mutual agreement re- um, reached between um, Joseph Swaliki, his management, and the Roosters' management, and they'll look to sever ties in the off season, and both teams will. Uh, inverted commas, cut their losses and, and, and both parties move on uh, with a handshake and a smile, uh, acknowledgement, the door's open if you want to come back here, but uh, you go do your thing, we'll go do our thing 
we'll free up this money on the cap. And for yeah. for the Roosters though, it's a they're in a bit of a downward spiral right now. Uh, they're struggling on the field. Their star uh, sort of uh, young playmaker is out of first grade, and again. They, they're telling you that he's not going where, and Sam Walker's saying he's not going where, but there's just enough smoke saying that he might be going somewhere. Uh, Brandon Smith, their marquee dummy half recruit, isn't, I mean, it's still very early into that contract, and he could turn it around, but he is not performing at dummy half the way they would have liked to. Uh, you know, the Roosters have just been such a consistent juggernaut for so long, and they always landed on their feet. If they lost a player, the rare times they would lose a player, they'd go and get two players to replace him. Uh, and in this they case, found a bit of form when they played. Well, jo- Joseph's one great game this year, of course, came against Parramatta, uh, naturally. Uh, so we're we're good for that, unfortunately. Heels yeah. uh, yeah. it, yeah. it, it very much, Quint. But yeah, the, it just feels like the Roosters they haven't got the answers this year. And as much as we're lamenting Parramatta's struggles, uh, we're we're not the ones that had high profile recruits that are flopping. And have uh, you know young guns that are really struggling uh, with? Is it even second year syndrome? Is it third year syndrome? Like uh, Walker played in the 2020, 2021 final series, didn't he? Or twenty twenty one? So yeah, yeah. So he, this is in his third season here. So and and things yeah. aren't clicking for him. He he can't play the game the way the Roosters want him to. So yeah, there there are some real issues out of Bondi, and uh, the Swalee one is just the one that's at the fore right now, bubbling away. And yeah, I think I expect things to get a lot worse uh, as as the uh, like I said, all those egos keep checking each other across the uh, the code lines here because the uh, union CEO or chairman or whichever whatever position he's got uh, is really enjoying chirping here, and I, I think he accused the Roosters of having salary cap problems. I think today, uh, so yeah, <laughs> so like you know he knows how to press some buttons. He's he's done a good yep. job with uh, Valandis and the Roosters here. And it'll be in everyone's best interest on the league side of things to just, uh, you know, cop the, the blow across the face and move on. Yeah, my... I might, I might add to this discussion, gents, that um, it's, uh, it's, it's by no means an accident that Mitchell Pierce has also made himself yeah, well, known that, about that, the NRL. That's the thing that's popped up, hasn't NRL it? Club yeah. Yeah. Next year. yeah, yeah. Uh, look, my prediction on this is that as... As soon as you start to get Nick Politis um, putting his name out there um, with his comments just to, in his attempts to shut it down, I, I'm pretty much on board with what you're saying. I think it gets settled for this year. He moves on early to Rugby Union next year with the caveat that in in... Politis coming in and smoothing things over so that bridges aren't burnt going forward. That's one like thing Politis is very good at. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah they, they allow him to go early to his rugby union deal. They don't let it blow up this year. They keep all the relationships there. He goes off to rugby union. They want to keep it. They want to keep the everything intact in terms of being able to have a a future where he, if he comes back to rugby league, and I don't think there's any guarantees that someone like Swali'i would come back to rugby league, but if he did come back to rugby league, that they don't rule themselves out via um, any bad any bad blood that happens now. That you know that you've got that uh, rugby union bloke going on about he's been treated horribly by the Roosters. I, Unless something's happening behind doors that's awful, I don't think uh, there's been anything that's been untoward that's happened towards him. If he was suddenly playing reserve grade, or they stopped, or they started docking his pay, that might be being treated horribly. But I think, <laughs> I, I think you know, he's had he's had what he's had two, you know, below par games. Big whoop, like hey roosters, welcome to the real world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Play below par. <laughs> let's let's face it that that's the lot for probably eighty percent of the NRL teams. They will have players that will go through rough periods. So anyway, well, fellas, I think we've just about got through it. We got through our Eels news. We got through our uh, NRL news. Have, I, have we missed anything? I think we I think we're up to date. 
I think we've done a fair job covering the week that was for Parramatta in the NRL. I might just yes, add one thing that we, we did forget to mention. A big congratulations to Ryan Madison on his 150th NRL game this weekend. Go get him, champ. Yeah, uh, arguably been, uh, for the times that he's got onto the field, he's missed a few games this year, but he's probably been our, our consistent standout performer, certainly in the forwards at the very least. So, uh, yeah, congratulations to Ryan Madison. And um, thank you to all our listeners for tuning in to the tip sheet. We will, as I said, we'll have lots of content coming our way, uh, coming your way. Uh, thanks again to our sponsors, Big Swing Golf at North Mead and Star Partners, Auburn, Norellan and Parramatta for making sure that we are able to bring this content to you every week, every week of the year. And um, go you Eels. <laughs>